0: You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon by Elizabeth Rogers. Good morning, church family. It is so such an honor to worship with you all this fine day as we dive into the word of the Lord together. If you've been with us um, the past several months, we've been in a sermon series on the book of Romans that we call Nuts and Bolts. And especially in the past couple weeks, we have been in chapter 14. And in this chapter, Paul has really been diving into the point of why he is writing this letter. So the city of Rome, actually all of the Jewish people were expelled from Rome from an edict from their emperor. And so they have been gone for five years, and now they've been allowed to come back. Well, the Jewish Christians get back and they find a church that looks completely different than the one that they left because for the past half decade it has been led by the Gentile Christians. And so the Jewish Christians are frustrated that their church looks different from how they left it, and the Gentile Christians are frustrated at the Jewish Christians' frustrations. And so this is the context that Paul is writing to the church about. Specifically in chapter 14, Paul is really focused on one specific issue. Um, The Gentile Christians believe that they can eat any food because Jesus fulfilled the law for them, so those meal purity laws have been fulfilled and no longer have a hold over them. Well, the Jewish Christians coming back, they're still really holding to their cultural practices of not eating, eating certain foods. And so this is the tension and the problem that Paul is addressing in chapter 14. Well, today we move into a new chapter, and I'm so excited to be in Romans 15 because I think here Paul really drives his point home, not just from what he's been building to in chapter 14, but really for the whole reason he's writing to the Romans. So we're going to be in Romans 15. Our passage is verses 1 through 13, but we're going to begin just by reading Romans 15 verses 1 through 3, if you'll join me. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. We see right away, we are right back to Paul's idea of the strong and the weak. But here, Paul is including himself in the list of those who are strong. But these strong in their faith, they're not saints or prophets or apostles. Some might be, like Paul, but rather it's like Pastor Lee preached on several weeks ago. The strong are just the people who are more acclimated to living out their faith in the midst of the culture that surrounds them. It's just those Christians who are more comfortable with culture and those who aren't. It's not about a weak faith versus a strong faith. It's simply about different cultural practices. And this church in Rome is letting cultural differences jeopardize the unity of Christ's bride, the church. Now, it's important to note what I said. These are cultural issues, not scriptural issues. This has been a theme throughout our entire sermon series, right? Disputable matters. These are the matters that Scripture doesn't have a clear voice on. And you can be a Jesus-loving, Christ-following believer and do things one way, and someone else can do them another. These are the disputable matters that Paul is writing to the Church of Rome about. And so here in this passage, the word for strong that he uses means mighty in wealth, influence, or power. And so these strong believers have an obligation to use that power to help the weaker ones. Notice I said the weaker ones, not the weak. Because Paul doesn't call them weak here in the passage. The word that he uses in the Greek simply says, those who are lacking the same strength that the others do. So, do these people have weaknesses? Yes, absolutely. Everyone does, but they are not weak per se. They just don't have the same fortitude in that one area that these other believers do. So, in Paul's context, when writing to the Romans, remember the strong are those who believe they can eat anything because Jesus fulfilled the law for them. Their own personal convictions are what give them more freedom Than the other believers had. And even though Paul himself includes himself in that group that believes all food is permitted, remember verse 1 that we read, we who are strong? Even still, Paul's not going to let himself act or behave in a way that can be a stumbling block to another believer that doesn't agree with him. Those are the people that the strong are called to bear with in verse 1. Now, as English speakers, when we hear the phrase, bear with, what comes to mind, it's like, uh, tolerate or put up with. But it's really important to note that that is not what the text is saying here. To bear with means to take something up in order to carry it, to put something on yourself, to bear with something that is burdensome and to do so lovingly. This idea should remind us of another popular Bible verse. Galatians, chapter 6, verse 2. This verse says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So just as Christ fulfilled these purity laws so that these strong Christians can eat whatever they want, Paul tells us in Galatians that by carrying one another's burdens, by bearing with each other, we fulfill the law of Christ. It's so beautiful. The strong are there to support and encourage those who don't have the same strength, not hassle or harass them for not having it. The strong need to seek the other's advantage above their own. And Paul tells the Romans they need to do this, not just because it's the right thing to do, but he points them to Christ. Because Christ, God himself, pleased others above himself. And so, this strength that the believers, like Paul, have isn't just given to them for their own benefit. But like Jesus' strength, it was given to them solely to be used to go and give to others, to build others up, to bear with them, not puff up their own selves. And the same applies to us today, right? Like these strong Roman Christians, we should not live just to please ourselves. Our opinions on cultural issues or disputable matters should not become stumbling blocks among our church body or weapons to combat brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not to please ourselves. We are to look to others' good above our own. I mean, remember what Jesus said the two greatest commandments were? Number one is basically love God with all that you are and all that you have, and number two, is love your neighbor as yourself. Everything points to loving your neighbor. And that's what Jesus did, and that is what we are called to do. So in our passage, in verse 2, Paul tells us that we are to please others in order to build them up. Now, we don't build them up so that they think their opinion is right or perfect or whatever, but rather we build them up to promote their growth in Christ so that some of the strength in us can be built up in them as well. Christ did this for us. He is so strong, and in our weaknesses, we are strong because of Him. If He can do this for us, God doing it for broken humanity, surely we can do it for one another. Jesus is not asking us to do something that He hasn't done Himself. In fact, for him, bearing with one another, building others up, included suffering and even death. For the church at Rome, doing so meant just being considerate in how or what they eat. For us today, doing so might mean being considerate in what we listen to, what we watch, what we wear, how we talk, especially about disputable matters. And yeah, maybe even how and what we eat or drink. But that is nothing. Because in verse 3, Paul continues, and there he's quoting Psalm 69, verse 9. It says, The insults of those who insult you, God, have fallen on me. This verse from Psalm 69 is part of a lament psalm. And that's a psalm that just expresses anguish or grief. And in this verse, the psalm is expressing his unbelief, it's frustration at the unfairness of the situation he finds himself in. He has done nothing wrong, and yet he has enemies pursuing him, taunting him, and hurting him. That is why Paul uses this verse from the Psalms here in this passage, because he is comparing Jesus to this psalmist. Because in spite of all of the unfairness and pain that Jesus endured, he still chose to bear with others, to build others up for their own good. And to some of the others that he did that for, we should all be really grateful, and we should go and do the same. So by quoting this verse from the Psalms, Paul is assuming that the hearers of this letter are going to recognize that this is scripture, especially those that he's referring to as the strong. And so they're going to hear this and have a familiarity with the word and know what he's getting at. So with this in mind, let's keep reading in our passage. Let's go to Romans 15, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The key part of that verse, it's scripture. And scripture is key to our lives. That verse tells us from scripture we receive so much. We get teaching, endurance, encouragement, and hope. Y'all, what a gift, what a fountain of life that God has given us to, His Word, on the written page for us to access whenever. But do we use it? And if we are in the Word, if we do turn to it, do we go to it looking for these things, for instruction, with a humble heart, eager to learn, for endurance, with a willingness to persevere? for encouragement with a heart open to hear God's voice, for hope and anchor for our soul despite our circumstances. You now, Scripture helps with everything in our lives, especially with loving your neighbor and building each other up. Scripture is not just written for posterity, but it was written for our instruction so that we might patiently endure and be encouraged as we cling to that hope. But hope can be a hard thing to cling to, right? Especially in certain seasons of life. But hope is so important to our Christian faith. And it was really important to Paul, too. In fact, in the book of Romans alone, he teaches on hope 14 times. It is a huge theme for him. Earlier in the book, in Romans chapter 5 verse 5, this is what Paul says about hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope is a gift and through God's Word it can be strengthened. But continuing on in our passage in Romans 15 verse 5, we see that that's not all that God gives us. Join me in Romans 15 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Again, we see that those gifts from God in scripture, endurance, encouragement, hope, and that strength, they are not for our own personal benefit. We are to have them, to have the same attitude of mind towards each other. And the text is clear that it's the same attitude of mind that Jesus had. What kind of attitude did Jesus have? He loved everybody, right? That's the whole point. He loved shady businessmen. He loved people with imperfect past. He loved women and men, Jew and Gentile. He loved and accepted everyone. He cared for all. Even those persecuting him, he asked God to forgive. Here's a question, though. Did Jesus have differences with those people? Yes, obviously. He is sinless and perfect, and those folks, like all of us today, most definitely were not. But he loved and he served all, and that's the same attitude of mind that we are supposed to have towards others. The same attitude of mind— despite our differences. Now this does not mean we will all come to the same conclusions on all matters. We know that Jesus didn't agree with everything that everyone did or said, but he loved them and welcomed them just the same. And aren't you glad he did that? Because I am convinced no matter how righteous or holy we all think our opinions are, Jesus does not agree 100% with any one of us, myself included. Yet he loves us just the same. It is okay to disagree. Just do so in love. In the next verse, Paul tells us why doing this is so important. We're going to reread Romans 15, verse 5, and add on verse 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us all these wonderful things, teaching, endurance, encouragement, hope, strength, all of this so that we glorify God. And not just individually, but with one voice and one mind all together as his church, his bride, giving him glory. One of my favorite things to do in our church services here at Classic City is in those last three worship songs when the congregation is really singing out, I like to just take a little break and stop singing myself and listen to the church family sing. Because I think it is so beautiful that our congregation, that's full of so many different people with so many different opinions, with one voice and one mind, lifts up this beautiful praise to God. It's one of the most beautiful sounds I have ever heard in my life. And if you've never tried it, I invite you to just take a break and listen. But now, please, let's not all do it at the same time, because it will go radio silent in here, and poor Brother Joe will lead worship for absolutely no one. But truly, I love to hear it, because I think if this is so beautiful to me, what must this sound like to God? And this idea is the whole point that Paul is getting at. It's not that everyone thinks or acts the same. That will do no one any good. The strong should bear with the weak. We should build each other up, look to Scripture. But all of this is so that God is glorified. Because isn't that the whole point of our whole lives? Glorifying God? And glorifying God is another big theme throughout the book of Romans. Earlier, back in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This passage shows us that Christ's power was laid down for us when we were still powerless. You see that same idea again, the strong bearing with the weak? But Jesus didn't just lay his power down, he gave it to us. If the God of the universe can do that, surely we all can lay down some of our strengths, opinions, etc. for the betterment of the church. Paul keeps going. He's not done. Let's go to Romans 15 verse 7. He says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. He says, because we need to glorify God, people accept one another with all of our differences and all of our opinions and all of our quirks and all of our weirdness. Accept one another. And accepting one another, again, isn't just tolerating each other until your personal opinion wins out. It's not bearing with each other until you become the right one, because our opinions aren't always going to win. They shouldn't, because we've already established we're not always right. Accepting one another means seeking to actively know and understand another person's perspective, because you realize that all believers belong to God. And that there are so many different ways to serve him. This is what Paul has been building to since the start of chapter 14. And once again he tells us Jesus is the example of this. He is the model and basis of what we are to do. Jesus accepted us, God accepting humanity, but we can't accept one another? Brothers and sisters in Christ can't accept one another over disputable differences? There's no sense in this. Are there differences in the body of Christ? Yes, absolutely, and praise God for them. But even still, there are not as many differences amongst all of us as there are between God and humanity. And if Jesus could lay his power down for us and then bestow it upon us, surely we can do the same for our church family. By doing so, I'd say we give a lot of praise to God. And I think it sounds a lot more beautiful to Him doing that than all of our wonderful singing voices combined lifting up in song. So here at this point in the passage, Paul's really going to start bridging the gap between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile ones, and he does this by once again turning to the source of our teaching, our endurance, encouragement, our hope, all of that stuff. He turns to Scripture. So join me, Romans 15, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. You see, here, Paul is continuing to appeal to the church at Rome to accept one another, because first of all, Jesus accepted the Jews, and he didn't just accept them, but he became a servant to them. And he did this so that God's promises to their ancestors, the patriarchs of the faith, would be confirmed. Now, these promises given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that whole crew, they are written in Scripture and then confirmed in Jesus. And this shows us God's faithfulness both to his word and to his people, the Jewish believers. And those promises that God made to them in Scripture, they still stand true. And Paul's already talked about them earlier in Romans as well. In Romans chapter 9, he lists some of these promises out. I'm just going to name some to you. They had the adoption to sonship, they got the covenants, they received the law, they were given temple worship, they got the patriarchs of the faith, even the ancestry of the Messiah. Jesus' lineage is Jewish. Look at how Paul has been building his case throughout the entire letter to the Romans. So with that one verse in verse 8, Paul has built a really excellent case for why the Gentiles should accept their fellow Jewish Christians. You can't argue with his logic. But then, Paul turns to talk to the Jewish Christians and why they should accept the Gentiles, and boy, does he lay it out for them. From verses 9 through 12, he quotes so many Old Testament passages, the word of God that the Jewish Christians should know oh so well to show them that it was God's plan all along for the Gentiles to worship alongside of them. We're going to read verses 9 through 12 all together. Moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. Hmm. Paul is hitting them with scripture after scripture, showing the Roman church that from the very beginning, it was always God's plan for the Gentiles to worship God alongside the Jewish people. Paul is showing them that welcoming and accepting everyone was always part of God's promise. From the beginning, God's plan for Israel always included the Gentile people. And from the beginning, God's plan for the Gentiles always included bringing them into fulfilled Israel. See, these promises mentioned in Scripture that Paul brings back up, they're not just given to Israel, but through Israel for the entire world. And Paul shows us this by quoting verse after verse. So in Romans 15, verse 9, he's actually quoting a verse from 2 Samuel, chapter 22, verse 50. And this is where King David is speaking. And King David says, Therefore, I will praise you, God, among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. So King David of Israel is singing God's praises surrounded by Gentiles. Then in our passage in verse 10 Paul is referencing a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 33, 43, excuse me. It says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. So this verse shows that even in the earliest days of the faith, the Gentiles were called to rejoice alongside the Jewish believers. Without skipping a beat, in verse 11, Paul continues with this theme, quoting Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. But then finally, in verse 12, Paul gives them one more verse to consider. And in verse 12, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, that says, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Now, if you've got a good memory... You'll remember that this verse was part of the passage that was read earlier in the service for the inspiration. And if you can recall, in in there, the prophet lists all of these contrasts that are going to live together. The wolf is going to live with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the calf with the lion, the infant with the cobra, the list goes on and on. You get the picture. But in this passage from Isaiah, all of these wildly contrasting things are able to live together at peace, because of God, because of Jesus. And we know it's because of Jesus, because even though this passage was written centuries before he came to live on earth, Isaiah references the root of Jesse. Now, Jesus is a descendant of King David, and King David's father was Jesse. So the Gentile mission of the early church, including the church at Rome, is a fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. Jesus' work was always to be on behalf of the whole world, not just one people group with their specific cultural preferences. Some of you know that our church is sending a mission team to Haiti later this summer, and when I was planning the trip with the ministry that we're partnering with, I was adamant that part of the team's itinerary includes going to a local worship service with Haitian believers. Because seeing how people across the world worship Jesus in ways that are completely different from us, but not wrong, holy and beautiful and wonderful is such a gift to witness. I truly think it's one of the best ways that we can prepare ourselves and excite ourselves for heaven. Because there, every kind of knee is gonna bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. All of these verses that Paul is rattling off at the end of this passage, they're saying, you should have known that the kingdom of God is going to look different than you. That it's going to be diverse. The wolf with the lamb, the infant with the cobra, the Jew with the Gentile, the American with the Haitian. Scripture's told you all this for a long, long time. Paul is saying, church, church. You should know that there's going to be more people in the kingdom than just those who look and think and act like you. We today should know that there are going to be more people in the kingdom, in our own church, than just those who look and think and act like us. Because it is only in this diversity of thought and culture and persons that the image of God is fully revealed. Only in this is true glory given to God. So we're back to this theme, giving glory to God. Why is that so important? Well, because for millennia, humans have tried to just live giving glory only to themselves. And we know how that's worked out. It's never going to work. Humanity can only find fulfillment when it realizes it's all about giving glory to God. So yes, Paul's point in this letter is for unity in the church. But it's also because he knows this church is never going to feel good or complete or purposeful until they realize this greater purpose. And as a church here in Athens today, or as the universal global church, we are never going to feel good or complete or purposeful until we realize this greater purpose. Not focusing on tearing each other down over disputable, gray matters, rather than coming together in unity of mind, unity of voice, and lifting up praise to God, so that he is glorified. We're just not. And I have seen the beauty of this church and of many others embracing disputable differences, valuing uniqueness among the church body, loving and accepting each other just the same, so that we glorify God. This is the kind of love that is earth-shaking and kingdom-bringing and all-welcoming. This is the kind of love that's going to bring all people and groups and personalities to come worship Jesus alongside of us. Arguing over who is strong and who is weak never will that is why Paul ends this section with a blessing, so that the Romans hearing the letter then and us hearing the letter today can know that this is completely possible, not in our own strength, but in the strength that Jesus has bestowed upon us. Join me in concluding by reading Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope, it's that same hope that Paul has been talking so much about, fill you with all joy and with all peace. Now, joy is something that you expect to be filled with when you are in united worship of God. Peace is something that you expect to be filled with when you are in united community, and the God of hope is going to give it to you. But did you notice in that verse When it's going to happen? Verse 13 says, As you trust in Him. As you continue to trust in God, bearing with one another, accepting one another, doing all of the things that Jesus modeled for us to do. We are not filled with this joy and peace at the drop of the hat. They are fruits of the Spirit. Remember Galatians 5, 22? Love, joy, peace. These things come as we trust in God. Not before we start, not after we've figured it all out and done it to perfection, but during the process. It is only by leaning into the process of trusting God, trusting His Word, and doing what it says, including bearing with one another and building each other up, that we're going to overflow with that hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing else in this world is going to give us this hope not winning an argument with a sister or brother in Christ, not feeling self-righteous in our worldview and disdaining someone else's. This hope only comes from the God of hope who gives it to us through his spirit and his word. Shared worship is central to Paul's vision here. He's not saying that the church should wait to do this until every aspect of their belief and practice has been hammered out in agreement. He is saying that this mutual welcome Allowing people from different backgrounds and perspectives to worship together with one voice is the essence of glorifying God. United fellowship should not be some reward awaiting at the end of long church negotiations and agreements. United fellowship should be the central means by which we travel along that road. It was true for the Roman Christians back then, And it's true for us Athenian Christians today. So yes, no scripture. Yes, accept one another. Build each other up. But above all, glorify God through your united worship with all believers. Even with, especially with, those who don't look, think, act like you. So Paul ends this section with a blessing for the church at Rome. But this blessing is not so that they are just built up and hoard it for themselves. The point is so that through this blessing, they will be empowered through Christ to accept and love one another above themselves, just as they saw modeled in Jesus. As I close today, I want to read this blessing over all of us. And I pray that that same Holy Spirit empowerment of acceptance and love Of others above ourselves will rest upon us as well. Will you receive this blessing? May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him, so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we are so grateful. For your strength. Thank you that in your strength our weaknesses disappear. Thank you that we get to live boldly, confidently, because of you. But in that confidence, let us not begrudge our sister and brother. God, I pray that we would lean into your word for teaching, encouragement, endurance, and hope that we would bear with one another just as you taught us to do, that we would build one another up as you taught us to do that we would accept one another just as you accepted us when we were still powerless. God, as we enter into this time, would we focus on you and the incredible gift that we have received through your life, your death, and resurrection? And as a result of that love we've been given from you, go and love others likewise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.